Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Stephanie Callender, who I first met when she and Sarah Hennessy made their very clever 70s comedy Terrific Women for CBC Gem. She's also written on everything from Schitt's Creek to Cavendish and become a serious force in children's television, and now she's turned Kate Beaton's delightful book The Princess and the Pony into a downright charming Apple TV Plus series, Pinecone and Pony. It premiered on the service earlier this month. It's all sorts of fun, and you should check it out. Steph picked Moana, the 2016 Disney hit about a plucky young woman who sets out to save her people by finding a demigod named Maui and convincing him to restore the heart of Tefiti, bringing balance back to the world and prosperity back to her island. With a lively voice cast that includes newcomer Olil Cravalho and Dwayne Johnson at his most charming, a song score co-written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and a beautiful visual aesthetic, Moana remixes the usual Disney princess adventure narrative, tweaking its cliches in order to show us how far they'll go. I like it a lot. This is someone else's movie. It's been the, like the Disney movie and the animated movie that excited me most over the past like forever. <laughs> like my old favorite Disney movie was Little Mermaid. And I still like love, love, love Little Mermaid. But then after I saw Moana, and I was like, I think we have a new contender. And that was like really exciting to me because Little Mermaid's obviously very old. <laughs> and so it's really, it's really special to love a new one. And and then I mean I could go on and on about all the reasons why it's such a great movie. Do should, shall I? This is what yeah, this is what we do by all means. <laughs> well, I guess for me, like I I was I love how simple it is. Like it the 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 story is just so straightforward. It's so clear, beginning to end, what her journey is, and you don't really see a lot of like the classic hero's journey with with a female lead, and there's no romantic interest in it at all she is just a person who has a dream of being um you know being an an adventurer being like a sailor like voyager and and that's it and that's that's her goal and she does it like it's just so it's just so simple and clear all the way through and um and it's in it and in that way it feels very male like traditionally male and um, I just love that about it, you know, and she just feels like such a real person. Yeah, I I mean, I saw it cold at, at a press screening that that year, you know, like when, it, when it came out, it was the big Disney Christmas movie, the big holiday release, well, the Thanksgiving release, but this big November movie that they were just gunning for us. You know, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I remember when Taika Waititi was announced as writing it and we'd spoken about it very briefly when he came through for what we do in the shadows but he showed up not long after the TIFF screenings to do a separate interview tour. And I said, like, you're, you've written a Disney movie. And he's like, I know it's weird. And he wouldn't go into it. I don't think he could. Um, And then that was like three years later that, that Moana finally came out. And apparently he says the only thing left of his original screenplay is exterior ocean day. (laughs) Um, I don't believe that because this does have a sensitivity and an intelligence to it that, makes me think of the stuff that he has subsequently done. It's really, it's subversive in a family-friendly, audience-friendly way. Like it sort of lets you know what it's doing to not be a princess movie. As as you say, like it is, it could have just as easily been a dude's story. Um, Yeah. There, there is, I mean, Moana is technically a Disney princess. She's, you know, the daughter of a chief, but none of the princessy stuff happens. And even 
the setups for the obvious Disney uh, narrative, I don't even know what you'd call them. They're like signposts. The things that always happen in these movies are immediately thrown out, like the fact that the wrong pet comes along. It just <laughs> keeps delighting in refusing. Like there, there really isn't a villain. There's just selfishness and emotional. Yeah. It, it sort of prefigures Encanto in that way that these are films where, these are stories where families are are at odds because of who they are, not because of an external threat. And I was really struck watching it again. It's like, it's just about people making bad choices and trying to make the best of them. It's, it's surprisingly mature for a film about, you know, a, an adventurous young woman. It's, it's true. not prepubescent, right? Like it's designed for grownups as much as it is for kids. It's true. And, and, you know, even though I said that, it, like, it felt very male to do the hero's journey, um, just because that's what we've seen before. Sure. The, the thematically, the movie feels like almost like for women by women. Like it feels so true. Um, like she feels so true. Like she doesn't feel like this manic pixie dream girl, or she doesn't feel like lovesick, or like I just feel like I haven't seen her before except in real life. You know, like she's just she's a bit awkward, but she's not like, but she's not self-hating, but she's not like she she doesn't. How do I explain this? Like they don't make a meal of her like being awkward and having a ton of ton to learn. Mm -hmm. They make her feel like, oh yeah, she's a person who has a dream. She doesn't like hate on herself. She's no like Bella from Twilight. Like she's like, she's very um, just very genuine. And 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 in that she's very strong. And you know, and she falters sometimes, but she picks herself back up, you know, and she has that conversation with grandma, her grandma Tala, and, and it's like yeah, that could, that could very well be happening through magic, but it also could just be happening in her, in her own mind, like giving, like being like, no, actually I am strong and finding that within herself, you know? And, and I, and then I love that the, the conclusion is like really just this female to female moment of like, I see you and I see that you've been wronged and you're not my enemy and you're not lashing out because you're, you're mean, you know, you're, you're hurting. And I felt like that to me felt like a very female moment, you know, like of, of empowerment and being like, um, and not demonizing Maui for like making a mistake because he, you know, cause everybody makes a mistake and, and he really, he really learns a lot from Moana, which is really beautiful too. And, um, I don't know, it just really feels like a movie, but a woman getting her due. <laughs> It, yeah, it is. I mean, it's the, it's a legends arc, right? I mean, you've got the way Maui is set up as, as, you know, a trickster god, but still a, well, a demigod, but, but still someone of, in, of incredible power, charisma, charm. And so of course you cast Dwayne Johnson because he can do that. But also if you listen to the way he brags about himself, he's confessing. He's like, I've stole this. I did that. I took this. And then mm -hmm. gradually at the very end, when when the I, we can jump all over the narrative, it's it's fine. It's a six, seven year old movie. I'm sure everybody knows what happens um, at the very end when he's sort of held accountable emotionally instead of, you know, he's not going to go to prison or anything. He's, he's just he's found to be guilty in a way that is like it's personal and it makes him feel it makes him feel empty in a way that I really didn't see coming. 
just the fact that he can't mm-hmm. bluster anymore and that Johnson lets him be, it's not vulnerability exactly. It's more like acceptance. It's just yeah. such an interesting choice because there would be, every other movie we've seen before has a big battle um, between the, the out, like even Frozen has the villain being shown up at the end and being revealed. And then it becomes like a, an Agatha Christie thing for five minutes where they're dealing with, you know, well, I was the bad guy all along. It's like, okay, you still don't have ice powers. (laughs) You're not a major threat here. (laughs) They sort of know that there's nowhere to go with it, that it just has to be like, it has to be confronted and resolved. And it's so strangely mature. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a Disney film that's had conflict resolution before. Yeah, and and it's the power of Melina's heart, and it's the power, like it's really like like in the end, instead of a battle, she's like a mediator. It's yeah. like the power of mediation, <laughs> you know. It's like it's so um, it's the power of like good therapy ultimately. And like like Moana's big power with with Maui was that she like listened to him, and she didn't like she didn't put him up on this pedestal, and she let him just be his human side and like and then and then you know through that get into like he taught he opened up to her and he told her about his past and why he is the way he is and like that is a move that you'd see in therapy like that's like closure for him like you're like good for you man you've had a breakthrough and like you know it's thanks to like the humanity of this person of Moana yeah and it's the it could sort of run afoul of, you know, the Mary suing that people were accusing the Star Wars pre- uh, sequels of being, where you know Ray is just there to be a fan of everybody and also help. Moana doesn't have that; like she knows the lore, but she has her own path. The whole the whole first act is about her determining what's going to happen for not just herself but her entire people because she's trying to break a cycle of of stasis. Um, that yeah. that her father is committed to, even though her dad, as it turns out, has perfectly good reasons. I mean, they're hard to argue against. Everybody has a point of view and everybody has a perspective that is, it's valid for them. And it's sort of the movie's job to show us in the audience how that isn't working, how it's self-defeating, it's self-destructive even to just make your own mythology without actually trying to change anything about yourself. I, I was like, mm-hmm. I was really struck. And maybe it is simply that, oh, sorry, we've had this incredible boom in animation, animation mm-hmm. um, where we are getting adults who've grown up on the Disney Renaissance, realizing what they can bring to it, right? Every generation improves on the thing that the last generation did. But mm-hmm. the the maturity involved in some of these projects now, like I, it's just commonplace. If I see something that doesn't have a third layer of, of metaphor or drama, I'm actually annoyed at this point, uh, which is weird because some stuff can just be for kids. But Moana is like so emotionally aware and mature and it's in the songs, it's in the design, there's acting in the pixels, like so much is going on. It's so much richer than I remembered. And I remembered it being pretty great. And the, and the water is a character too. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and, and it's just, yeah, it, it really is so lovely. But the thing is, is like, you're right. Like so many Pixar movies, Disney movies now have a lot of layers and they're wonderful. And then they reduce you to like a puddle when you're watching it as <laughs> an adult. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I appreciate it. That was beautiful. That was so smart. Is this for a kid? Could a kid, could a kid follow this? Um, 
And with Moana, the thing I love about it, it, it is, it is so, you know, deep as we talk about it. I'm even like, you know, realizing more, like listening to you talk, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it is, it is so smart, but at the same time, it's so simple, mm. you know, it's very, very clear. And, the, and it, there's almost like a power to its simplicity um, that it's not, you know, adding like all these layers upon layers of like deep psychology um, on top of Moana for adults to connect with. It's, you know, it really is like, I have a dream and I'm going to do it. And it really feels like it's for a new generation because like you said, like her dad is, is holding the, their, their village back, you know, from growth and, and Moana is growth. Like she's the next generation coming along to say like, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to cancel you for this. I'm not punishing you for this. You know, I, I, I get why you're doing this out of love, but it's time to be brave and it's time to, you know, get back to our deep roots and bring you forward. Like she's the new generation, but she's also hearkening back to the, to her ancestors too. So, you know, it's also saying to the audience, like, you're not just some new thing trying to, trying to overturn the status quo. You're a part of this legacy, even though you're brand new, even though you're the future, you know, and I thought that was a really great message for kids too. Um, and, and, and Moana speaks truth to power. Like I, anything that shows kids that you can tell an adult respectfully that things need to change, I think is very powerful. Yeah. It's, and it's not, hmm, it's not punitive, right? Like it, yeah. it isn't, it doesn't mean that it, okay. In practical terms, it does mean the way of Moana's people is ending but it's going back to the thing they did. I mean, I'm trying to think of an analog where there is some kind of, maybe it is, maybe it is the, um, the star Wars sequel thing where the Jedi are gone, but we can bring them back if we do it properly, uh, which never works for anybody, but this is right around the same time, right? Like it's, it's sort of bubbling in the consciousness with the, um, with the way we were starting to interact with the things we loved as kids coming back as grownups now, to 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 sort of re-embrace them as, as adults. And now we've seen fan culture go so far in the other direction that it's actually become really just incredibly uncomfortable because now we're fighting over how much we love something and do you love it enough? I'm sure it's always been the case, but it's just so much worse now. Yeah. But this is about like ancestral fealty and and learning to take the things that work for you rather than the things that work for your grandparents. And, and yeah, again, you have the voice performers of such incredible tenderness. Rachel House, who is this, this New Zealand legend as the grandmother, she's playing character like a few decades older than she really is, but she just has enough hesitancy and tenderness that you buy it. It's just, you immediately see the value that this character has had to Moana and her whole family and her, and her, and their people. Yeah. And it's not like you could be told this in two or three lines of dialogue. And I think there are those basic expository lines, but, but House's voice just tells you everything you need to know about how much she loves her granddaughter and how, you know, like she goes away pretty early on in the narrative. I remembered her hanging around a little longer, but the movie moves pretty fast. And I was, again, I'm just struck at how tender and how well-established that relationship is before she goes. Well, I love that she's telling, you know, she's telling her to, to be true to herself, you know, and that being true to herself also means being true to her people because, 
you know, there's no better celebration of people around you than by celebrating yourself because it gives everybody permission to be themselves. And, and there's so much power in that. And, and um, yeah, it's such a simple message. And I, I find that like, I feel like Disney is really embracing that too with like, I feel like there was like similar themes in, in turning red about like embracing the person you're becoming and, and um yeah, I just I just love it so much. And, and and yeah, you're right. Rachel House is fantastic in it. I cry every time she they sing. She sings the song to her, you know, about like you love the sea and your people. You make your whole family proud, like, you know, and what you say. Yeah, sometimes the world seems against you. The journey might leave a scar, but scars heal and reveal who you are. Like, oh, it's just so it's just such a great message for for, for kids, you know, like for, you know, to just like, um, keep going and, and, and your and like your hardships become a part of you and make you stronger. And it's just, it's just so joyful. And by the yeah. way, Rachel house is also on, um, in, in Pinecone and Pony. That's fantastic. <laughs> from so episode you, one. <laughs> I mean, did you get to work with her closely? Was it all done virtually? everything was virtual. Um, and it was, it was so hard to schedule with, with her because she's in New Zealand. Um, but we made it work and she's amazing. She's so like people, everybody, everybody listening on the zoom call was just like hushed with like, <laughs> uh, just the power in voice, like just in, in, just in a simple line of dialogue. Oh, that's amazing. So without derailing it entirely, like, did you do you get to cast the people? Like, do you get your pick of, of animation voice workers or anybody you want? Like, how does it, how does something like this work? How, how, like, is it, the, um, oh, Doug Lehman tells a story about making the, the born identity. Uh, and in his first negotiations with Universal, while they're casting all the roles, he's like, oh, we could try for a Brian Cox type for this part or a Chris Cooper type for this part. And they said, this is Universal Pictures. You can have Brian Cox and Chris Cooper. <laughs> Well, I don't think our budget was that robust. I mean, and also, you know, there's rules like for hiring, like I, cause if it's a co-pro, like, you know, a certain sure. amount of people have to be Canadian and tax credits and la la la. But I mean, of course there's like more than enough talent in Canada um, for the show. So most, most, most of the performers in the show are Canadian. Um, but there are some people who were just really, it was challenging to cast. Like the roles were very specific some of them and um and and Gladys who's Pinecone's mentor on the show is is one of those where like she's this warrior from another time she's like she's supposed to be like well everybody sort of talks with like a modern kind of like I don't know like uh, modern sensibilities modern modern voices um Gladys is supposed to be like this character out of time like um she's like 500 years old um and she's like even though she doesn't look it um and she she says like thou and thy and shall and she's like nobody else on the show talks like that okay. and so we needed to have somebody basically i wanted somebody who sounded like a female wharf um from star trek <laughs> next generation okay. um and so we looked and looked and looked and and heard a lot of great people but I, I mean, I wanted her from the beginning, but I kept being told like, you know, like it's too hard. She's in New Zealand, but lovely uh, Julie, um, our supervising producer made it work. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's just, she's somebody who is, you know, I, I've been aware of her for so long um, as just this sort of 
MVP of all the stuff that she's done. All the all the Kiwi movies she turns up in is just like, oh, I know her. She, this like this is going to be a strong moment. And I didn't recognize. I mean, I knew who was in it from the from the early press, but when as Moana was coming out, it's just like, oh, that's Jemaine Clement as a singing. Okay, this movie has room for Jemaine Clement doing a David Bowie number as well as Rachel House doing this, and and Tamara Morrison, who now of course is is doing just fine with the Boba Fett show, but these are people who are like legitimate legends in their own spheres suddenly turning up in a Disney film. And it it's this kind of mischievous antic casting sense where it's playful if you know who they are. And if you don't, it's like the Harry Potter movies. Kids are going to discover all the other work these people have done when they start digging in. And somehow in the middle of all of this, we have a completely unknown high school kid I mean, Ali wow. Cravalho had not done anything, right, when she was cast. That's incredible because there's so much confidence in her voice. Like to have that much confidence and be like and be that young. Cause yeah, like I said, like she doesn't come off like she's like really insecure. You know, she's not a character who um I don't know who who's like really self-deprecating or something. She's like just the right amount to 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 show that she's young, but that you can feel that she has a deep confidence within her. Yeah, no self-doubt in the voice at all. Like she's yeah. she is she's has a mission and she's on it from basically the first time we encounter her straight through. She, her first song is about how far she's willing to go. It's uh it's incredible. And she was apparently she was 14 when she was cast. Um, and oh. part of it may have been because she kind of looked like the the model for Moana. And then they incorporated she she did resemble the character and then they incorporated some of her physicality as they did it. But it's it's amazing. But yeah, um, she was sort of immediately just hailed as, oh, no, she's not a she's not a, a brilliant new Disney star. She's always supposed to have been here. It just felt like she was just there. That said, you know, I'm a middle-aged guy, so I missed, I'm pretty sure I missed all the Disney marketing. I'm sure there's a generation of, of young girls who know exactly her entire origin story and, and where she came from, because that would have been part of that marketing, but I, I was oblivious to it. Just, just a great voice performance. Yeah, and immediately so likable, right away, you're rooting for her. Um, yeah, and she's so funny, and she's, she's like, just as funny as, like, as Dwayne Johnson, you know, like she's, she's where she's right alongside him. Like they're playing off each other so perfectly. Like he's always been a generous scene partner. And it's mm -hmm. one of those things where I guess it's the wrestling background, right? Where you're, you're taught to telegraph your emotions to the back of the room and you can use your voice as an instrument as much as, you know, the, the braggadocio and the boasting and the yelling, but yeah, and improv on your feet. Yeah. But he is, I, I was stunned to find out that they didn't record together i mean as far as i wow. know there, there's no evidence of it as far as i could see um but it's one of those things where it's like they should have they probably had a chemistry test or something but it feels like they should have been in this it feels like they are in the same room i mean even like yeah. so much of the movie hangs on that relationship it's so true it's actually so amazing in general about voice work how off like most of the time i guess it's done solo i mean on our show it pretty much was all done solo there was like a couple scenes here and there where we were able to get a couple cast members like patched in on the same zoom and mm -hmm. I think once where we we had people in person maybe but like it's um 
it's astounding like how much they sound like they're together in the same room when when they're not like um and how like the warmth kind of comes through i mean in some cases what we would do is we would play back the recording of um of like uh, of a certain character for like especially for really emotional moments we would play what we already had from someone else so that the person could act alongside it sure um and the lead from the lead from pinecone and pony she's like only 11 I think when we were recording with her and she's incredible and and most of her recordings were done in a closet with no screen so she couldn't see the voice director we couldn't see her um when she, when we had to do um uh like sort of like lip matching like for like re-recording lines and stuff mm -hmm. but we, where we couldn't change the animation for like pickups um, she couldn't even see the picture that she had to lip match with. She would just hear it and she would just go from memory of the rhythm of, of like, of the line she had to deliver. Like it was, it was incredible. She's, she's somebody who's like, yeah, like, like Auli Cavallo, who were, where you're like, where did she come from? You're just born to do this. You're just a superstar. That's amazing. I haven't really, I mean, I know there's been so much animation produced during the pandemic because it was the the way, right? Like it was the thing you could do safely, mm -hmm. but I never really considered, I've, I've heard stories about how, oh, I recorded this under a blanket fort, you know, these three mm -hmm. lines that we plugged in, but to direct and to coordinate and to do it with younger actors who've never done it before. That's amazing. That's just also terrifying. Yeah. And, and some of, and, and there were, I think there were six recording studios working on it because we had cast in like um in dc in connecticut in la um and yeah obviously new zealand um there there was a bunch of different places that we were recording from and um and yeah our work production coordinator jen had to coordinate all of that and the like technicians were so on the ball like working with each other to make sure like everything was sounding great and we were getting what we needed and yeah, and then Natalie, our voice director, was like incredible. Like there was a lot of kids on the show, and because mm. um, we wanted real kid voices, and they were great. And Natalie is so good at working with kids, like pulling these performances out of them. Several of them I don't think had ever acted before, or a couple of them at least had never acted before, like totally green. And then some had like some acting experience, but like you know. Uh, Moana and and then Pinecone have like the bulk of the lines, so many lines, <laughs> like carrying the whole thing. Yeah, how how long did it take you to find your Pinecone? Oh gosh, months. I want to say we. I mean, we we had an initial casting call, and then um and then the and then I think DreamWorks thought that she's the person we initially chose sounded too young. And then we did another casting call, including one in the States. And then we had some contenders, but then, but then we were like, we went back to the first batch mm -hmm. and Maria was in that very first batch. And we were like, wait a minute, like, like this girl, like we, she was already in our shortlist from the first batch, but I think listening to her again, and she just sounded the perfect age, like his, the pinecone character is supposed to be eight, but, but, but a real eight-year-old um, they they can be great actors, but it's sometimes hard for them to do a ton of dialogue, and 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 especially if there's like large long chunks, and they have to do a lot of reading. Because for sure. some for some kids, it's like they've only just learned to read and <laughs> read all these scripts. Um, so you know, 
Um, so we wanted somebody who was maybe about like 11. Um, and then we were like, she's perfect. She's amazing. And then, um, and I think she really made us cry even with her audition because we did, we worked with her at this one scene that's really emotional. Um, it was a scene from the end of the episode, Treat Your Creature. And it's like the character is actually kind of getting teary and sniffling and hearing the way she did she did it. It just sounded so authentic and so real that we were like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sniffling along with her. Oh man, that's wonderful. I can't wait to see it. I'm, um, I, I will have by the time this episode drops, but I'm very excited. And, and uh, yeah, I guess we're sort of springboarding back and forth, but is there, as I understand it, the show allows for interactions between fantastical creatures and, and animals and people and children. So is there a Moana moment? Did you steal anything from uh, Moana and sort of, or stitch it in structurally? Um, is there a tip of the hat? Mm, well, I mean, there are similarities, you know, because, because Pinecone has a very clear goal. Like she wants to be a warrior. She wants to be the best warrior. Um, so that is kind of a thing that we keep coming back to throughout the series. She wants to be a hero. She wants to help people. But the whole series, she's kind of, she's trying and learning. She's kind of sort of like, like honing in on what a real hero is. Um, because, you know, she kind of, as like we all do, get lost in kind of the trappings of it. Um, of Of like, like for her, it's like, even from Kate's book, you know, she wants a big warrior horse, a strong warrior horse, like that. that's something that real warriors have. Real warriors don't wear cozy sweaters. Um, and that's kind of the a recurring theme on the show of like of her thinking she knows what she wants, like thinking she wants to be a hero in a certain way. Um, and then realizing that, oh, actually, you don't have you don't have to do that. You can do it this other way. And this other way is equally important and valid. And so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of her sort of like pushing away the sort of the chaff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> Stuff yeah, that separating really... the wheat, separating the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there. Yeah, the chaff. I knew the chaff was a thing. Um, <laughs> sort of, you're like, yeah, pushing that away. Um, and sort of honing in on like what it, the truth of what that, that is to her. And um, so in that way, I think she has, it is kind of that like hero's journey, even though it's not one, you know, through land, like in Moana. Um, yeah. Well, but for Moana, it's about learning that Maui's stories of heroism aren't the kind of hero she wants to be, right? Like the, mm-hmm. it's the different sort of, it's not disillusionment exactly. It's just about discovering the path you want for yourself or figuring out the mistakes other people have made so you don't make them, which I think is very much about Moana and her dad and all the other stuff that have happened. Even if these things happen for perfectly good reasons, and even if these decisions are valid, it's the stuff you don't need to carry forward into the next generation. It's so true. It's so true. And yeah, Moana does that in a very like, yeah, non, non judgmental way. She just, she does it so honestly, like she doesn't, yeah it's just it's all coming from her and you can feel her figuring it out as she goes which is amazing you know like on that that the real cry scene where you're like where she's on the boat with her grandmother towards the end like you just you feel her like working through um 
what it means to keep going and, you know, and what her dream means to her. And um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. But then, you know, and then, and then I feel like I <laughs> talked so much about her themes. I didn't mention that it's also so funny, like this, like this, and the songs are so good too. I mean, yeah. I'm a big nerd and some people are going to say that like, this is super annoying and they won't agree with me, but I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is an excellent songwriter and I think his songs are just perfect. <laughs> I don't think I can disagree when you're in the animation realm. Like his stuff is so busy and complex and exuberant that yeah. like there are points where you feel like human people can't contain it. Um, yeah. like, I remember sitting there and I think Your Welcome was the first song in a movie that I could clearly point to and say, oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote that um, yeah. because it does his thing. Like it starts slow and it gets complicated and then it explodes into the, into a rapping sequence and then comes back to Broadway music. And not only was I amazed that Dwayne Johnson could do that um, as a singer, as a performer, and, but the, the way the, the tattoos tell the story and the way that the, the visual equivalent works to support the song and illustrate it so you don't get lost because it moves so quickly and it happens a couple of times in Encanto too where the soundtrack is so active and I don't mean the song I mean the actual audio is so busy that it's almost hard to listen to some of the lyrics or hard to, to get them clearly mm-hmm. but but in your welcome it's just this perfect encapsulation of this guy does this thing better than any other person on the planet and it works for Miranda's songcraft and it works for Maui uh, in his yeah. boastfulness. And I just remember um, watching that scene with Kate, actually, uh, it was, I think it was released to YouTube as a, as a standalone. The whole song was out there before the movie came out anywhere else digitally. So I came home, found it, put it on and watched her eyes just go bugging out of her head when he starts rapping because, oh no, you thought this song was fun and busy. This is what he can do. And yeah. the, the other songs are great. I have no, I have no complaints against any of them. Shiny's kind of disposable, but you know, it's a pastiche song. Well, what? It's, I just want them to get to the other side of it. At that point in the movie, it's just like, keep going. There's more stuff happening. I do like, this guy's okay, but he's not, he's not going to figure into the climax. I can tell. Um, but he's like, when he tears apart Maui, when, when he's like beating him up basically and being like, you're worthless. It's such a turning point for that character. That's like, true. It's so it's so character revealing, like how low he's brought so quickly. Like you're like, oh, this guy is insecure. Like, <laughs> That's true. It, and then like, and then and then it's just such a funny song. I, I saw that movie in theaters with Jocelyn and with Ebony, and we were all laughing so hard at that song when like when he's like, I sparkle like a wealthy woman's neck. Yeah. <laughs> like, like what what li- kind of line is that? It made us laugh. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun character. It just felt to me that he's an obstacle rather than a, yeah. uh, an actual story element. It's fine. And, and Tamato is beautifully realized. I don't want to take anything away. And Jermaine Clement is the only person in the cast of Mono who's actually been on this podcast. So I have to be very nuts. But uh, he picked Robocop. It was great. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. It really was. I feel so crazy attracted to him that I that crab is somehow strangely attractive to I love yeah but a bit but like you were saying though like it does he you know the crab is an obstacle um 
but that I feel like that's what makes it feel like that classic, like you learn it in school, that hero's journey where it's like with the literal, like the line and the like your teacher's drawing it on the board right. and these are where the obstacles land. And it really felt like that classic to me that I was like, you know what? Good for you. You just, <laughs> it, you pulled out your notes from like grade seven English class and you went to town and it's perfect. And it feels so satisfying because there's a reason that that structure has worked since, I don't know, ancient Greece. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's like, it feels right to see the hero get tested in that way. That's fair. And these are like John Musker and Ron Clements are the guys who made The Little Mermaid. They like, they know this inside and out. They tell these stories for Disney for decades and then suddenly here's a movie that they made it's their first cg venture too which maybe let them feel more liberty than they'd had before but they could do something that undermines and subverts all those things like he is just a an obstacle he's not gaston right who's the driver of of all Mm -hmm. the the second half of beauty and the beast or 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 ursula who is the reason everything happens in the little mermaid he's just this crab who shows up and is more powerful and has to be defeated for everyone to move forward and it's still i mean it it, now i feel like i have to apologize i like the character he just (laughs) it's he's a speed bump is what i'm saying oh for sure and and like and same with the you know the coconut um characters that they fight you know on their oh yeah yeah. it's like it's like there's these moments that show you and show moana and and moana is showing maui how valuable she is like how tough she actually is you know because she saves their ass in both of those um and and um and she doesn't like she's like thinking on the fly you know like so you know that it's not like because she's got these like you know amazing superpowers but it's because she's her and then and then she's proving it to she's showing Maui and then, and then the second one with the crab, it's like, not only is she showing him how awesome she is, but she's showing him how troubled he is. Yeah. Everything she does reveals a larger truth about everybody else around her. And yet she's not annoying. Like she's not a scold. Mm -hmm. She genuinely wants to help people. Yeah. Yeah. She feels like a real nice teen that you want to come babysit your kids because she'll be a great babysitter and teach them a lot about themselves. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I would watch that. I would watch that show. Moana, the teen babysitter. Yeah, I would watch that too. They land in the. They're they're on the they're on their ships. They're voyaging, you know, um, post post her adventure. But now she's just she's just babysitting on the different ships. Well, the parents go visit friends on another ship. Yeah. I mean, not every mm-hmm. sequel has to be the same movie again. There, there's room, <laughs> there's room to there's room to grow. I wonder if they'll ever do a Moana 2 the way they used to do like the straight to you know VHS yeah. sequels to the old Disney movies. Oh, I hope not. I mean, I'm sure it's inevitable, but unless it does something genuinely different, I don't see like I never want to see that stuff. I it, I I remember reviewing the the old sequels like Bambi 2 and stuff like that where you just you just don't need them you just don't need the only one that worked for me weirdly enough was the uh, Beauty and the Beast one the Enchanted Christmas because it had the bizarre gall to declare that the first movie the original Beauty and the Beast takes place during Christmas we just didn't notice and it's knitting all this other action in while the Beast is still a Beast like it's set in those three days it's ridiculous 
I have to see that. Is it's, that the one where they had this scene where like she's reading Romeo and Juliet with him and then he's like, I can't read. Or was that the or was that like, oh no, no, I think they released like an extended version. Yeah, I of, think that's that was something that was just deleted with an extra from song. I think so, yeah. That sounds right. Maybe it's in the work, the work in progress cut that was released way back when on Laserdisc. Um, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, it could be. I don't know, but but uh, check out the Enchanted Christmas if you can. I'm sure it's on Disney Plus. It's nuts. Um, in the just like in the best possible way of watching genuinely creative people try to figure out how the hell to make us another one of the thing that ended, um, because they can't have Prince Eric running around as a human because that just that's not the brand. Yeah, because you're not. You don't want to just see like. Oh, here's people working at a castle. The clocks are just clocks now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's Plot the spin-off Eric. series nobody wants to see. Sorry, and it wasn't Prince Eric. Eric was from The Little Mermaid. I'm mixing them up in my head. Do we even know his name in Beauty and the Beast? Beast. Prince, Be- Prince Beast. Prince, Prince Beast. Oh, that's just going to turn into a weird sex thing if you follow it forward. Like I if like you- it. <laughs> and in the live action version they did in the verse scene, it's that had a kind of like a Bowie feel when like, did you see the live action version? I did. Yeah. Remember when at the beginning he as like Dan Stevens comes in and he's got like, he's like, his face is all painted and he's That's like right. the hair and the outfit and he's leading the ball. And you're like, wow, he was like really glam before he turned into a beast. Decadent Prince. Mm-hmm. These are all, all these Disney movies are about characters who have to better themselves under duress, right? Like there's no, Moana chooses the trial, which I think is much more interesting. There's no curse. I mean, the same with Ariel. She chose to get legs and and go look for her prince. But when the, when the heroes are the ones who choose the journey, it's just so much more interesting. It's true. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, you know, she has this destiny, I guess, like where the ocean like chose her when she was a baby. But at the same time, you could just sort of interpret that as like, how does any passion choose you? You know, like, really, are you aren't you the one choosing, you know, what you want to be when you grow up? But it feels like you've been chosen by it, because that's how passion kind of works, you know, like, it feels like it's like you're getting swept up in a wave. And like, um, even though it's it's coming from you. My thanks to Stephanie Callender, whose delightful kids series Pinecone and Pony is now streaming on Apple TV+. Watch it with your kids, or just enjoy it yourself. Thanks also to Barb Matheson. She knows what she did. You can find Steph on Twitter at Steph Callender, all one word, and you can find Moana on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Walt Disney Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Disney+, Plus, of course, and available to rent or buy on most VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. And I'm once again reminding you that I've made the first year of the podcast available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 46 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. Payhip.com slash Semcast. You're welcome. Our theme song is by the last year, If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.